0: Uh, my name is Brandon. I've been in Chi Alpha now for like eight years, which is awesome. Yep, yep, was a student for two years. I did an internship for two years. I was on staff for two years. We're in twos, I think, two, 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 two. And now I think Meredith and I are finishing our second year co-directing, which has been awesome. And speaking of timelines, guess what? I'm five weeks away from meeting my daughter. We're getting super excited at a Spring Camp out in our small group. Uh, we were talking about, like, our bucket list, and I was really thinking about it, and I'm like, honestly, I just want to be a great dad. Aww. Like, I, yeah, can, my, my team can confirm. Uh, so if you want to just pray for Meredith and I, if you think of us, pray for us. We, would, we just want to be really, really great parents, and we, see, we want our daughter to see just a glimpse of her king through us. And so we would appreciate all of your prayers, and I'm excited for you guys to meet her one day as well. Hey, i got to continue in our series this quarter that we're calling our Anti-Hero Series. Have you guys been enjoying the series? It's been awesome. I think we've had the coolest graphics ever. Uh, I think want to shout out to Nancy. And I, I also want to specifically honor our teaching team. Uh, do you guys know that you have an incredible staff? You guys have an incredible, incredible staff here uh, in Chi Alpha. And specifically, um, our teaching team of me, Tim, Cassidy, and Taylor um, I just want to honor them because, guys, these, these guys really, really care about you guys. Um, studying the Bible and hearing about the biblical antiheroes, we have Friday teacher meetings where uh, whoever's teaching on Tuesday comes and they give their message to the team, and I just want to honor them. Like, they just really love you guys. I love you too, uh, but they really care about you guys, and so I'm just honored to be up here and, and teach alongside them, so... Uh, we're going to continue, obviously, talking about our antiheroes, and uh, Tim talked a couple weeks ago about King Shlomo, or uh, King Solomon, who we learned had a lot of small decisions that eventually led him to compromise his relationship with Jesus. You guys remember that? Yeah. We then we talked about Eli the priest the following week and we talked about how a life of apathy led to Israel's demise. That Eli knew God, he knew God's commands, but he was unwilling to get his hands dirty for the kingdom of God and his apathy led to Israel's demise. Tonight we're going to take a look at a new anti-hero, but before we do that, I'd love to ask you a question. Have you ever made an impulsive decision before? One of my favorite, like, icebreaker questions in any group setting is, like, what's the worst financial decision you made this year? Because I'm like, I got you. Like, that is, like, that is me. Like, anybody can relate? It's, like, normal for me, like, every four months to just want this, to make this, like, impulsive financial decision that makes literally no sense at all. So it's common for us to be, like, at Best Buy or we'll be at Costco, and Meredith's, like, off doing... You guys are a little chatty. <laughs> it was a good question, it was. Hey, you could talk about it after the message. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, hey, this is my story. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, it's, it's common for me to be like at Costco or Best Buy and Meredith's like, you know, off doing her thing. She's like, you know, she's, she's going around and she's getting all the things and I just, I'm stuck at the TV section. And I'm just looking at this TV that's like three times my size and it's worth like $4,000 and I'm trying to figure out, we can, we, can, we can make it work, like we can make it work. And then I look across the room and Meredith and I make eye contact and she's like, <laughs> I'm like, all right. And I make my way back. I'm thankful for my wife uh, because she leads me away from impulse and she leads me to wisdom. And tonight we're going to take a look at an antihero who similarly struggled with impulse versus wisdom. And that is Samson. Can we just acknowledge the irony that I am the one teaching about Samson? <laughs> Thank you, teaching team, for that. Because let's think about it. what's Samson known for? He's known for his strength and his hair. Okay, I lose every single arm wrestling match that I do, and I haven't had hair since I was like 18. I cannot relate to Samson at all physically. I should say, I can't relate to Samson physically, but uh, I can see glimpses of myself in his story. And I bet that will be true for most of you guys as well tonight. So I am going to welcome up my Bible pastors. Uh, if you don't have a Bible tonight, you're definitely going to want to have a Bible uh, in any way, shape, or form that you can access the word of God. We're going to go through two full chapters in the book of Judges tonight. So you're definitely going to want to be able to follow along. Um, and so as the Bible pastors come and you guys raise your hands, I'm going to pray for our night. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'd be glorified tonight through me. Thanks for a fun group. Thanks for, Lord, that you're just going to speak through your word tonight. Pray that you speak through me, Lord, that um, yeah, you just be glorified through what I have to say, and, and Holy Spirit, that what you've wanted to say all week, Lord, would just come through me, and I just pray that we'd really have uh, ears to hear what you have to say tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to be in Judges chapter 13. We'll start in verse 2. Judges is the book right after uh, Joshua. And uh, where we are in Israel's story is important. This is uh, before King Solomon. It's before Eli the priest. It's before Israel even had a human king. And Israel had judges. Now, when you think of a judge, don't think of the like, courtroom judge with the, you know, the drip and hammer. Don't think about that kind of judge. Think about like a regional political military leader. Regional, political, man, my jokes are hitting tonight. <laughs> Regional, political, military leaders. That's what I want you to think about. Now, if up to this point in the Bible, you're, you're seeing this pattern with Israel where Israel would break covenant with God. They would realize their need for God. They'd hit rock bottom, who's with me. They'd hit rock bottom, realize, oh, my gosh, I need God. They'd call out for God. God would fulfill his side of the covenant. And then after God fulfilling his side of the covenant, and Israel experiencing his help, then Israel would break covenant again, repeat, repeat, repeat. Where we are in Judges is God sending help. God is sending Judges to his people to help lead them through their circumstances. And the book of Judges is, is pretty intense if you read the whole book. Um, it shows not only the corruption and rebellion of Israel, but also of Israel's leaders. So we're going to start in chapter 13, and in verse 2, we're going to read through 5. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Okay, this is the start of Samson's life, and it starts off pretty strong, wouldn't you say? We have an angel of the Lord who shows up and announces his dedication as a a dedicated Nazarite. Now, to us, we're kind of confused, but if you read the book of Numbers in chapter 6, we see that a Nazarite was a title given for somebody who would be used for special service for God. And in the book of Numbers, it was like a voluntary uh, service in, in chapter 6. It was, you'd actually go and you would volunteer yourself. Samson is unique because God chooses Samson before Samson ever chose God. God chooses Samson before Samson ever chooses God. Wouldn't that be awesome start to your life if your parents had an angel of the Lord visit and say, your child is going to be dedicated to God from the womb? Like, that'd be a pretty awesome start, Right. Uh, when we hear Nazarite, it's kind of like, what, what does that actually mean? Uh, it basically means that the Nazarite was to be dedicated in their wholeness to God. It, it was, they would live set apart for God um, in their life, in their words, in their actions. And uh, for however long they were dedicated, they were going to give all of themselves to the Lord. And chapter 13 ends with these words. It says, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. We're left wondering at the end of chapter 13, how is Samson going to live up to his calling? Is this judge going to be faithful to God? Every single judge has become more corrupt, more corrupt, more corrupt, more corrupt, and we get to Samson, and we're left wondering these questions. So let's take a look at chapter 14 and see what happens. Started in verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and there saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother as they approached the vineyards of Timnah. Suddenly, a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman. And there, Samson held a feast as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Wow. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Great friends. And Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me, you don't really love me, you've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied, so why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast, so on the seventh day he finally told her. Because she continued to press him, she in turn explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset, on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down thirty of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. Uh, quite a packed chapter, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> How's Samson doing it? being faithful to God, right? Uh, likely you have plenty of questions, and there's no chance that I'm going to be here for two hours to answer all of them. I highly recommend if I don't answer any of your questions tonight or explain anything you don't understand, uh, underline it, go do it in your God time, talk to your facilitator. Um, There's just a lot to unpack in these chapters. But I want to start explaining about our chapter. And and the first thing I noticed is that this is like the least romantic beginning to a marriage I think I've ever heard. (laughs) Give her to me. She's the right one. And he liked her. Women, I don't know. I don't know if that's like, yeah, that, that boy wooing me. Like, yeah, give her to me. Next, we see the first demonstration of Samson's strength, followed up by carcass honey. Not my preference for where I get my honey, uh, but Samson, he, he's, d- he's down with some carcass honey. Next, we, we see that he shows up and he has this very arrogant riddle, and then it's met with emotional manipulation, that happens when you impulsively marry, uh, from his new wife. And then, to conclude the chapter, because it keeps getting better, we have vengeance and murder, and then he loses his wife. What a chapter. What are some observations we're beginning to make about Samson? I have summed up my observations into a couple sentences. Very simply, this is how I would describe Samson. Me see, me want. Me feel, me act. Me see, me want. Me feel, me act. Is this living set apart for God? Is this in any way showing who the Lord was to the other nations? Remember, as good Bible scholars, we know that it was Israel's call to show the nations who God is. They were God's chosen people to show the other nations who God is. How is Samson doing at showing who God is? The judge's a real original audience, they would have known the answer right away. And most of us know right away, too. Uh, he's not doing a great job, right? Right? The first thing he does is he breaks covenant with uh, marriage laws. So he breaks God's marriage laws specifically uh, in Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 3, when we read, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drive out many nations, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. We got a small glimpse of that when we studied King Solomon. Uh, and this may feel a little bit random, like, wait, don't intermarry. Um, this wasn't like a God is against people group type um, law. This is more of like God wants his people to like both love and worship him. And the context is that all the other people groups outside of Israel are corrupt, and they're morally evil. So it was common for, this, for the Philistines to like, sacrifice their children, and it was like they were all worshiping a totally other God, and they were super corrupt. And so God is like, don't intermarry with them. And Samson's like, no, I'm going to do whatever I want. The second is that he breaks a very specific Nazarite vow in number 6-6 when it reads, throughout the period of their dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near a dead body. There's the lion and there's like 30 other dead bodies that Samson is going after, okay? We talked at the beginning of the quarter why this is important, because a dead body basically represents the epitome of sin and the fallen humanity. And to be around that was breaking covenant as a dedicated Nazarite to God. Now, I want to ask you, where have we seen this sort of imagery before? Something that looks good to the human eye, but God has forbidden to take what looks good to the eye. The fruit. Adam and Eve. Okay, we're starting, we're starting to see what our authors are wanting us to read into, right? We're noticing that the original audience would have seen all this, right? Samson is not fulfilling his covenant with God. Can I ask, can you relate at all to Samson in impulse? Where, maybe in your life, we all humble ourselves just a little bit, where in our lives do we choose impulse versus obedience to the Lord? Uh, before we continue into chapter 16, I, I want to very clearly explain verse 4. Uh, verse 4 follows uh, after Samson asked to marry a Philistine woman. And verse 4 says, Uh, His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. I just want to be very clear when this says, this was from the Lord, the biblical authors are not saying God chose to have Samson completely disobey his law and that Samson was like unique and Samson could break a marriage vow. They're, They're really saying God is willing to use sinful Samson to fulfill God's will. God was willing to use sinful Samson to fulfill his will. What was his will? God's will was to confront the Philistines. God's will was to humble the Philistines who were oppressing and ruling over Israel. The problem from Samson's story is how Samson answered that call. Samson acted in impulse instead of seeking counsel. He's never talking to God in that chapter. He acts in arrogance instead of humility, and he's demanding instead of asking. Let's continue into chapter 16. We're going to read the whole chapter. So follow along with me, starting in verse 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. Uh oh. He went in to spend the night with her. Buddy, me see, me want. You see what I'm talking about? The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place, and they lay and wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson lay there until only the middle of the night. Then he got up, took hold of the doors at the city gate, together with the two posts, tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. It's a good shoulder workout. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then to Samson all, said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't even told me the secret to your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to a grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Must be nice. I had to throw that one in there. 23. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Oh, here we go. Sovereign Lord, remember me, please. God, strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and came, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtoel in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had led Israel for 20 years. I think it goes without saying uh, that Samson's story is truly an anti-hero story, wouldn't you agree? Where Samson is equipped with supernatural strength, he completely lacks a heart for God. Do you see that? Last week, Taylor taught about Eli the priest and how he modeled complete apathy. Eli had a head knowledge of God. He had a relationship with God. He knew of God, but he was unwilling to get his hands dirty. This week, Samson is the complete opposite. Samson is only willing to get his hands dirty, but has no regard for God or God's commands at all. Both of them lacked wisdom. Samson had a life of impulse decisions, which led to a heart of vengeance, of revenge. He has multiple relationships marked by terrible conflict resolution, and ultimately his final act of heroism could be more described as a mass murder and suicide of 3,000 people. And while, yes, I believe that vengeance and impulse can best describe Samson, I believe that there's a way bigger takeaway from Samson's life tonight. I believe it's that Samson did not allow God to fulfill his desires. Samson did not allow God to fill his desires. Think about it. Samson had faith to believe that God would strengthen him in the right time. It took faith for Samson to believe, but yet Samson didn't have faith to believe that God would provide for his just very basic needs. Samson had clearly a desire for romantic intimacy. He had a desire for justice, and he had a desire to be in the trenches of the justice. He wanted to be a part of seeing the justice come forth. The problem is that instead of going to the Lord for his heart's desires, he relies on impulse and emotions to guide his actions. And I want to be very clear when I say uh, God wants to provide for his desires, I'm not saying that every single desire that we can imaginably think of God wants to provide. God says no to unbiblical desires. How many of us have had a moment where we've prayed for something, we've prayed for something, we've prayed for something, and we realize, like, it doesn't get answered, and then a year later we realize, oh my gosh, I was answering answering, or I was asking for totally the wrong reason. Every single year I want my fantasy football team to win. Come on, Lord. Like, let's go Sunday, let's perform, and and I lose, and I lose, and I'm like, what is going on? I don't think that's a biblical desire. (laughs) I love my fantasy football team. I'm gonna say it again. Instead of turning to the Lord, For his heart's desires, he relies on impulse and emotions to guide his actions. And Samson's inability to let God fulfill his desires, it led to manipulative relationships, brutal murder, and eventually his own enslavement and suicide. But I believe worst of all is he failed to be set apart for God. He failed to live up to God's choosing of him. God chose Samson in the womb before Samson even chose God, and Samson completely fails to show the world who God is. If Israel was to be a people set apart for God, if they were to be a people set apart and live differently, if Isra- how did Israel's leader model that to the Philistines? Let me ask you, what did the Philistines see in Israel's God through Samson? They saw their own gods. Vengeance, bloodthirsty, impulsive, lustful. They saw the exact same characteristics in their morally corrupt gods. They saw the exact same character qualities. Yahweh was no different. I ponder on this story of Samson and, and the wonder of his strength, the wonder of the Spirit's empowerment in him. And I just wonder, what would Samson's story have looked like if he had trusted God with his desires? What would Samson's story have looked like if he had submitted to God? If he wouldn't have acted impulsively, but would have acted in wisdom? If he would have trusted God to fulfill all of his desires, to be an incredible leader, fully empowered in the Spirit of God in life and in his, in his action? What would that look like? It looks like Jesus. Jesus corrects Samson's narrative because Jesus modeled what it looked like to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to truly walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, instead of tearing up lions with his bare hands, he would lay his bare hands on people and he would heal them. Instead of scooping honey out of a lion carcass and satisfying his own desires, Jesus would scoop mud, spit on it, and see somebody healed from blindness. Instead of tearing down a temple in vengeance and revenge and committing suicide, Jesus would self-sacrifice himself, and then he'd pray for his enemies persecuting him. Jesus modeled what it looked like to love and know God in the midst of having God's Spirit. Jesus modeled what it looked like to love and know God in the midst of having the Spirit of God. In Mark chapter 1, 35 through 39, if you want to turn there with me, I think we see where, where this could happen, how, how Jesus could do this. How, as we, we ponder and we wonder, how could Jesus fully walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? How could he love God and know God in the midst of everything? And I think Mark is going to show us in his gospel. Mark chapter 1 will be in 35 through 39. Mark writes this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus gets up very early in the morning. He goes out to a solitary place and he spends alone time with his father. I wonder what he's praying for. I wonder what desires he's casting to his father. I wonder what direction he's receiving from his father. That in the midst of Simon and his companions coming and exclaiming, "Bro, everyone's looking for you," Jesus wouldn't act impulsively and go, "Oh, okay," and scramble off to the people. But instead, he could pause and say, "Actually, God's leading me somewhere else." What would Samson have done there? I'm like, everyone's looking for you. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go. But instead, he's willing to, he, he knows, actually, this is not what the Father has for me today. Let's go somewhere else. And it says, it concludes by saying he was preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons. He's functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I ask, do you know God this way? Where you can lean on God's guidance, God's wisdom, God's direction, God's comfort in the midst of impulse. When an impulsive decision comes your way, you can pause and say, actually, no, that is not what the Lord, that's not what the Father has for me today. No, I'm not going to act impulsively in that. Do you know, God, where you can intimately spend time in prayer, receive direction, just be yourself with God? I think this is just the simple model that Jesus showed us. He just took solitary time to be with his Father. I don't think it's that complicated. Earlier tonight, I shared about how cool would it be, you know, if you had an angel come announce your dedication of holiness to God, right? Did you know that because of Jesus, every single one of us is called a holy people? Those of us who would put our faith in Christ, those of us who would look to King Jesus, we are called a holy people, a people set apart and chosen by God. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. We're called God's special possession. We're called to live on special assignment from God. Like Samson, we're chosen from God before we even chose God. Scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. We were chosen, you were chosen before God, God chose you before you even chose him. We're called to live in a way that the world knows who we belong to. Unlike Samson, who they had no idea what God he was serving. As we conclude tonight, worship team, you guys can come on up. I want to ask a question. Where, where in college might you be tempted to live impulsively? I've got some suggestions. I was a college student once. I think who we choose to date, we can live uh, impulsively. Me see, me want. Me see, me want. I think about how we spend our money. Me see, me want. I think about how we spend our time. Me feel, me act, or me feel, me won't act. Ooh, oh, that's hitting, that's hitting someone. Hey, <laughs> impulsive decisions can lead to laziness. Come on. I wrote this down. I think how we respond to people who frustrate us matters as well. I think when, when we hear something, we can react impulsively, we can react emotionally, and the Bible says, be very slow to speak, quick to listen. I think how we respond to people who frustrate us matter. When people say things that bother us, we see things on social media that bother us, we want to react right away. Instead, the scripture and Jesus invites us to think wisely and to ponder and sit and not to act impulsively. Who we date, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we talk to people who frustrate us. I think these are just a couple examples. Um, I want you to spend some more time just meditating and journaling, um, specifically where you're tempted to trust your own impulse over God's truths. Just thinking, praying, journaling, it can happen tonight during worship. In um, the beginning of worship, it can happen tonight. When you go home, it can happen in the morning, your God time, the afternoon in your God time. Spend some time meditating, journaling, asking the Lord, bring him in as Jesus did in that solitary pr- place. Bring God in and say, where am I tempted, Lord, to trust my own impulses over your truth, Lord? I also want to ask, where have you trusted your own ability to satisfy your desires instead of trusting God to provide for you? Where have you trusted your own ability to satisfy your desires instead of trusting God to provide for you? And what would it look like for that to change? I'll pray to close, and then we'll pass it off to the worship team. Jesus, thank you that you showed us what it looked like to live in wisdom and to have the full power of the Holy Spirit and to intimately know the scripture, and to intimately know your Father in the midst of it, and to say, just because I have the power of God doesn't mean that I don't have, to, like, I don't get to know God, but that it's intimately important to know God as we function in the spiritual, spiritual realm, Jesus. So, God, I just pray that you would um, just meet us where we are, that you'd speak to us as we think, and God, I pray that as we go into worship, you really just um, connect with us tonight, and we just love you in Jesus' name. Amen.